0: Hey, good morning. Wow. I must, I must say this side is a little louder than this side. That's great. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest, and um, I love to meet new people. So if you're here, and you haven't met me yet, I mean, you've maybe seen me or whatever, but if you haven't uh, had a chance to chat with me yet, I'd love a chance to chat with you. So after the service, I'll be in the... Uh, the entryway there, and if you want to uh, just uh, introduce yourself to me, that would be a great big favor you could do for me. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your story, who you are, where you're from, and just a little bit about you. So anyhow, I hope you're finding a warm welcome here. I'm sure that I know that, I, I know that the people here are pretty warm and friendly, and I hope that you've met a few good ones already. Well, I want to begin to read uh, this morning out of... Um, I'm going to, oh, now I messed up my notes. Well, you can't just always rely on your notes, can you? Oh, it's just, okay. there we go. I often just put the scriptures in my notes so that's it's simpler for me to follow along and I don't uh, get too cluttered up here, but we're going to just read out of. Uh, Acts chapter 2. If you're looking for it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you should run across the book of Acts after that. All right, so Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, if you're looking for it on the page, big number two, and then. Scroll all the way down to the next page where you're going to find number 36. So, on page 884, if you're following in the paper Bible there. Let me read this to you, and uh, then we're going to watch a quick video after I I read this to you here. So, 2 and 36. And this is Peter preaching. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we're going to watch a a quick video here this morning, and basically... um, you may have seen this before, I've shared it with you before, but I want to share it again because I, I hope that if you haven't seen it, you'll you'll get to see it, but it's basically outlining the essentials of a healthy church, but it has a dual purpose in our teaching series that we're in right now. It also helps us to remember the basic essential commands of Christ. And so we're going to watch this video. If you've got a pen and paper, uh, it would be a great time to just try to draw what the guy in the video is drawing so that you can remember it and so you can teach it to someone else later on. Also, if you don't have a pen and paper, but you've seen this video before, see how good your memory is. See if you can guess in advance the different parts of a healthy church which also correspond to the commands of Christ before the guy in the video draws them. Okay? Let's watch this video together.
1: All right, go ahead and open up your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. And uh, read that with your buddy. And I want you to read that through and then discuss what, make a list of what, what did that first church, this is the first ever church, what did that first church do? All right, go ahead. Okay, so now we're going to talk about what did we see this first ever church Acts? What did they do? So we're going to draw a dotted line that illustrates a, a group And then once a a group of believers commits to being church, we make it a solid line. And, um, all right, so what were the different things that we saw in there? Okay, we had baptism. Good. And we had make disciples. That's right. And we had prayer. That's right. And we have... Love. That's right. They were spending time together. They're with each other regularly. And that's right. They're singing praises. We have worship. And we would. they celebrated the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. Yeah, they were super generous. So there was definitely giving that was happening there. And, uh, yep, apostles teaching, the word. And... You see in there it says apostles' teaching. So we, we've got leaders there. And uh, they're devoted. So this solid line just represents that they're, they're devoted to one another. And that's right, that they repent and believe. That's how they become a part of it. So these are the functions of a healthy church. All right, So go ahead and practice these with your buddy, And do your best to keep them in in the order. We'll tell you in a minute why that's important. All right? So go ahead and just practice what we just did at Acts 2 and draw. try to do your best to draw the church circle as you see it. All right, go ahead.
0: All right. Anybody here think they could... I'm not going to ask anyone to come up and do it. Anyone think they could, just from having seen that maybe once or twice, that you could probably draw it on your own? Just maybe? Close? Okay. There's a few. Um, I was drawing this the other day. Uh, So I had someone come, and it was a friend of mine, and and, uh, he and I were just chatting about uh, the steps we would take in order to um, help somebody who's a brand new follower of Jesus uh, understand what Jesus wants them to do as his follower, right? So I said, well, I think it would be helpful to draw this circle and to just sort of go through here the commands of Christ. And you can... Start with the ones that we're talking about in this series. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about repenting and believing and being baptized. Anyhow, so I started drawing this stuff. And uh, as I was drawing it, I was feeling pretty good because I was like, oh, yeah, good. I know how to do this. And then I got to one where I was like, I can't remember what the drawing is for this. I can't remember what this one is. Oh, I'll come back to it. And I started drawing some of them more. And then I said, okay, what is that one again? Oh, I can't remember it. And I kept going. And I oh, I oh, it's bugging me that I can't remember what the one I missed. And I kept going. I got it all done. And I, I, I still couldn't remember the one. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to look that up. I can't remember what it was. Can you guess which one it was? Well, it wasn't prayer, even though that's what I'm talking today about today. It was make disciples. And I was embarrassed. And then I, I had to laugh because I said, well, I unwittingly became an illustration. An illustration of the Canadian church. Because I think a lot of those things up there, the Canadian church does, and some of it does really well. But I think the one thing that has gotten lost along the way is Christ's command for us to make disciples. In, um, in the, part the, verse that we, the verses that we often call the Great Commission, Christ says, you know, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then he goes on to say, I'm with you to the very end of the age. I think that make disciples of the nations, go and make the disciples of the nations and teach them teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, I think somehow it got lost along the way. It's not that the church, in the church we don't do teaching. We do. I'm doing that right now. And we do lots of teaching in the church. But, Teaching to obey is different than just teaching to remember or teaching to have some sort of knowledge. Because teaching to obey, it isn't, it isn't completed some, until you obey. So you can know what Jesus commands, but until you obey his commands, that's, it's not, the job's not done. And you can see the ongoing rep, replication in Jesus' command where he says, I want you to make disciples... Jesus was saying this to his disciples. So, hey, disciples of mine, I want you to make disciples. And in that, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Well, what's one of his commands? Make disciples. So you see, this is a replicating thing. He teaches his disciples to obey everything he's commanded, including make disciples. They make disciples, which they teach to obey everything he's commanded. And then they make disciples... And that went on and on and on until you got here. Somehow along the way, you learned a little bit about who Jesus is. Enough to put your faith in him and trust in him. Maybe you're here today and that's not true. You say, I I haven't come to that place yet. You can still come to that place. In fact, today you can even come to that place where you put your faith in him. Where you trust him. You trust in what he's done for you. By living coming to earth and living a sinless life and then dying as a sacrifice for your sins on the cross, you can trust in that 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 will uh, that what he 's done for you on the cross is enough it was needed because of our sinfulness, but it was enough that it can make us right with God, and uh, that's something that all of us can have but I think along the way in the church that and i, I I don't say this as a condemnation. I say that this is a clarification because I, I feel like in my life it's the same, the same dynamic as at work. I was like, where was that time where I was taught to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded them? And where, when did that happen for you? I think what's happened in the North American church is we've become very dependent on the church as a body, the church in its programs and its activities. But I've, I, it was a number of years ago. I, I encountered a startling question, and I've asked it a few times through the years. And I've um, been—it's—it's it's been a disturbing question. But you know, it's sometimes it's good to have disturbing questions in your life because they lead you to good things. This is a question: If all the Christians in Moose Jaw were erased, except for you, could you see the, could you seed the gospel back into Moose Jaw and establish churches in this city? Sounds pretty daunting, doesn't it? And part of that is because we never did much training to help people to succeed at that mission. Now, Jesus did extensive training to help his disciples to succeed at that mission. And, his, and the idea was that those disciples would train the next and the next and the next and the next. But I think something has gotten lost along the way. That's why I think we're on a bit of a mission right now to rediscover how to... Teach people to obey all that he's commanded. We're rediscovering how to make disciples. In fact, I wrote about this in, our, in my annual report. So if we mentioned the annual report. Uh, get it. It's great. It's got amazing pictures in it this year. You'll love it. Really good ones from our 100th anniversary. And I'll give you a, a hot tip. If you're going to read one report, read Noah Quinette's report. It's really good. I won't say any more, but it's, it's, it's full of fun. But here's, this. I'm going to read to you from my annual report, just a section of it, and um, it's just about sort of a leadership, I think, aha, or a light bulb going on uh, for not just me, but other leaders in our church um, about what's really important. So going into 2024, we're focused on Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations who we are teaching to obey everything he has commanded us, and that's from the Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This moment, where we're at right now, is an extension of the audible of 18, in quotes. Now, this is a sports reference. An audible is a, a, quarter, a football quarterback makes a, an audible. He calls an audible. It's a change of strategy. It's a response to the threats and the opportunities they see in front of them the 49ers could have done a better job of that if you in my opinion. <laughs> in 2018 at a meeting we called Move the Core. So this is um, it was the fall of 2018, so 5 and a bit years ago. We identified that we weren't seeing the kind of spiritual harvest that God was desiring to see in Moose Jaw and area. And we asked our congregation for the input, ideas and prayer. And out of that meeting came the motivation to host the Alpha course. Also, some people were identified as having an eagerness to be more effective in evangelism and made lifestyle, choi- lifestyle choices to match that. And our team began to pray and look for resources that would help our church grow in this area. Resources like gospel fluency and prayer evangelism helped us. Sling training was offered for a couple of years. We started using a simple, simple, common prayer of commitment when making more frequent gospel invitations in our services. A couple of the staff took training in disciple-making movements, and many life groups learned how to lead a discovery Bible study so we would be able to disciple new believers to understand and obey the Bible for themselves. Five years later, I see that our efforts have borne some fruit. Without much effort, I could recall around 10 people That have come to Christ, at least in part, because of the above changes, and I know that there are more. But we believe our Lord when he says, and this is from John 15, that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. And this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And... I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In 2024 and beyond, let's abide in him and submit to the pruning of greater repentance, prayer, and obedience, obedience to the commands of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit so we can become even more fruitful. That way, we'll see the fruit that lasts forever. People reconcile to God and mature in Christ. As I've been preparing for this sermon on prayer, I've come back to this statement I wrote in there, the pruning of greater repentance, prayer, and obedience to the commands of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit to become even more fruitful. And I think that's what God is calling. I feel that I was personally as a call in my own life in this season. Repentance, prayer, and obedience. And I feel like it's a call uh, for us as a church as well in this season. Some, when we've done that, um, when I've drawn that circle or when we've looked at it before, I've had a few people ask me the question, hey, you know, in Acts 2, that's a pretty good list of the things that was we re- read in the Scriptures in Acts 2. But what, what about the gift of the Holy Spirit? That was there. And what about the signs and wonders? And I think that if you were to redraw that circle, I think you could just put a little flame of fire above the guy who's praying's head, because I think that's where it's connected. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is something that God does. Miracles is stuff that God does. Healing is stuff that God does. But it's not disconnected from what we do. In fact, I think it's directly connected to, uh, well, it's connected to all those things, but I think it's directly connected most pointedly to two things. One is prayer. And the second is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. So prayer and sharing Jesus, I think, is the connection point for the Holy Spirit's empowerment. I love the work that the elders have done, and I got to participate in that as well um, because I, I I get to uh, work with the elders on, on these things. I love this addition to our statement of faith. We had a great statement of faith, except for it was sort of missing the part where the purpose of the Holy Spirit being released into our lives is that we have power to witness. Jesus said, you know, wait. Wait in Jerusalem, and you'll receive power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. It was the empowerment to do the Great Commission was the the filling of the Holy Spirit was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And signs and wonders, I think those fit in with the preaching of the gospel. I think when you share uh, with somebody about your relationship with Jesus, and you share with them how they can also have a relationship with Jesus, I think you should more likely expect, when you're doing that as opposed to not doing that, to see little miracles or even big miracles happening in your life and in the lives of the people that you're ministering to. I think that's the connection, the main connection points, I think, to uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the signs and wonders that are described in Acts chapter 2. So today I want to just, the command of Christ today that I want to bring us to is is the command to pray. The command to pray. And um, most of us know, the scriptures that I'm going to go to for the commands to pray, found in Matthew and, and found in Luke. But I bet most, I bet a bunch of you have it committed to memory, what I'm going to read today. So actually, I'm going to invite you to recite with me the Lord's Prayer. In fact, let's stand as we do it. Can we do that? Because this is, this is basically the command. The command of Christ to pray is the Lord's Prayer. So let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven... You may be seated. You know, the Lord's Prayer, it's, in Matthew and in Luke, it's got a different context. In Matthew, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. There's large crowds who have followed Jesus, and he's giving this amazing sermon. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, contains him sharing this amazing sermon. And in there, he has teaching on prayer. The other context is in Luke chapter 11, and there, the Lord's Prayer is there again, but in this context, it's not with a large crowd, but it's actually just the disciples by themselves. In fact, Jesus has been praying. Jesus has been praying. That was his habit. He would go away. He would come apart from the crowds who were, you know, making his life very busy, and he would go away from the busyness and get alone, and he would pray. And the disciples saw him praying, and they saw his habits. They knew of his habits of prayer. And so they came to him and they said, "Lord, you know other people like John the Baptist when he had followers or disciples. He, they he taught them to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray." So part of it was a general teaching that went broader than to the disciples, but also it was Jesus making disciples, teaching them to pray. So in, in the Lord's Prayer, there's several aspects. I'm not going to talk about it all. There's lots to talk about in the Lord's prayer, but I want to talk about some of this, just some of the simple basics that I think are really helpful as you whether you've never prayed before and you're just Maybe today you'll pray for the first time. Maybe you've been praying for a long time, but there's some simple things in here that you need to be reminded of in order to um, help your prayer life. First is, what is prayer? It's just talking to God. Just talking to God. You don't need a a special vocabulary for this. If you can talk to another person, even somewhat, you're, you're set for talking to God. Now, if you can't speak, God can hear what you think. So that's also good. You can pray even by thinking as well. So God can hear silent prayers as well as verbalized prayers. But the, the reason why we pray is that he hears. And he answers. And there are things that are, can only be done on the, in this world when we pray. In fact, you you see again and again where God wills something in the Bible, and then the second stage is looking for someone who will pray for it to happen. You think, well, that's interesting. Why doesn't God just do what he wants to do? God is committed in, and I don't know all the theological limitations on this, but it seems like God is committed in some way that certain things will or will not happen in response to prayer. So if you are, you can't be fatalistic about prayer, because sometimes I think people read, what the Bible says, about well, God knows what we need before we ask. In fact, that's even in his teaching around the, the Lord's Prayer. And some people get fatalistic about that and say, well, God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. There are some things that will not happen unless we pray. I do not believe that it's all uh, 100% predetermined. But that God himself is asking people to pray and to persist in prayer. And that as we pray and as we persist in prayer, things happen. So one of the great, uh, someone once said, uh, the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer. The greatest tragedy is unasked prayer. So why do we pray? He hears and he answers and he wants, and there are things that he desires to happen, but he will. He's looking to partnership. It's like he's, it's like he's not throwing out the middleman in these things. He's inviting us into a partnership with him. So we pray because he hears and he answers, and also we desire his will on earth, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Isn't that great? I mean, when you make Christ your king, it changes you. But we're praying that that kingly reign of Jesus would be even stronger and more more pure and more real in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. We're praying for his will to come onto the earth. So how do we pray? So we, we pray by simply talking to God. And we, I love that Jesus gave us this simple beginning, our Father. So God is your heavenly Father. You know, on New Year's Eve, because uh, Voltage was happening, we had this building all dedicated to, you know, blessing the city and blessing the kids of the city. And um, so then a few... There's a number of houses, I don't know how many, but there's a few houses where he said, let's just do some home churches, come on over. So our house was one of the home churches, and we had some great people come over. And we did a a prayer exercise, and we did this. We just say, um, the prophecy about Jesus, where it said, uh, he will be, this one who's coming, Jesus the Messiah, he'll be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. And then we asked the question, we said, let's listen in prayer and say, of these descriptions, of Jesus. Which one do you need him to be for you in 2024? So in our home, we just sort of were quiet before the Lord had listened, and then people started to share us. We said, I, I need him to be that wonderful counselor. I need him to be mighty God in power. I need him to bring peace to me as the Prince of Peace. The one for me that, that resonated and that I really felt like was for me was Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father, I just felt like, yeah, like to me, it was about intimacy with Christ, it was like um, you know slowing down again, like Jesus trying to come apart from the busyness and uh, and just really focused in on him so that was that was that was it. so um, God is your father, and he 's a good father now, if you have a troubled relationship with your earthly father, you might need to um, you might need to, a little bit of an adjustment when, to think of God as your father. But he's not, like he's not your, your earthly father slightly improved, right? He's a heavenly father, so that's completely different in some ways. And he's a good father who deeply loves his children. He works for their good even when we don't understand what he's doing. So you might have to imagine if you have if you and your dad if things are not good or your dad wasn't present or whatever the reality is or there's a father figure in your life and it's a mixed bag I don't know your story but you might have to imagine what the traits of a good father would be like and the Bible helps us with that in fact even in the teachings around the the, um, the teachings around the Lord's prayer it gives this quick illustration of that um, even Bad fathers sometimes give their kids good gifts, but God, He's a good father. Imagine your good father; He'll give you He'll give you the greatest gift—the gift of the Holy Spirit—if you ask Him, because He's such a good father. It's awesome. So come to God as your Father, our Father. I mean, that's a journey in itself for many of us to embrace God as our Father. Hallowed be Your name. Hallowed is reverence and honor for who he is and what he does. And, it's, and hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So you're asking God to glorify himself through your life. Your desire in this is that God's goodness is revealed to others by how he makes a difference in your life and through your life. So, Lord, be hallowed, be, be respected, be revered through my life. Help me to uh, make things clear. You know, I, I sometimes have to, With some, I have friends who are just so Canadian. They're just so Canadian. They can't help it. And they're just wonderful Canadian traits. It's just like, you know, people say, Steve, you're a good person. And I almost agree every time. But occasionally I go, oh, it's not really true. Like some of the traits you're seeing showing up that you like, they weren't there until Jesus put them there. Some of those, you know, some of what you're saying is good It's just God. And then if you really knew some of my other traits, you wouldn't say I'm that good of a person. Because I'm just as much of a struggler as anyone else. i got just as many faults as anyone else. And so, so I often, you know, if I'm, if I'm wise in the moment, I'll, I'll try to find some way to say, hey, hey, hold off on the praise. It doesn't really fit me. Um, I can tell you there's been some significant improvements since I met Jesus and since since I've walked with him. So we want to bring glory to Jesus. We want him to be hallowed, him to be praised, him to get the glory. Hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread. So this means ask for your needs, small needs or big needs. He wants us to ask, and he wants us to look to him to provide. Okay, so this week... I'm tucking my six-year-old daughter into bed, and I said, I'm going to pray that you will have a good sleep. Is there anything you want to pray about and ask God for? So she said, yeah, I have something to pray. So I prayed, God, help Jade to have a, a good sleep tonight. That's a pretty little ask, right? And then Jade turned around and said, Jesus, I pray that Mommy would get pregnant again and that I would have a little sister. So, little needs and big needs, all in the same. <laughs> I could hardly wait to tell my wife uh, what our new priority would be. <laughs> now, after we prayed, it was a disciple making moment, right? So, I told her that God loves that she would ask that, and that God knows what's best for us, and that sometimes He says yes to our prayers, and sometimes He says no, or even wait according to what would be the best outcome, because he's a wise and good father. All right. Forgive us our debts. So ask for forgiveness for any sin. There's two parables, at least, where Jesus tells stories which he compares people being forgiven financial debts to people being forgiven their sin. And uh, so when you get to this part of the Lord's Prayer, this is a great time to just do quick inventory um, to forgive others, and to ask for forgiveness for what you've done. You may also realize that there's homework after you pray this. You may, oh, man, I've got to make it right with somebody else. This is really important for a follower of Jesus, to have a really clean slate between us and God and also a clean slate between us and other people. And to forgive everyone, whoever offends you. That's the commands of Christ. That's his teaching for us. Then deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from temptation. So pray for deliverance when you face temptation. Maybe there's an ongoing temptation in your life. Pray about that. Pray for deliverance. These are just some of the basics that are found in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I found an incredible uh, overlap between um, some of the things I'm hoping for for our church and the Lord's Prayer And what I've been reading about recently, which is the Welsh Revival. So, the Welsh Revival broke out around the turn of the century, I think 1905-ish, in Wales. And um, at the center of it was a young man named Evan Roberts. He's 26 years of age. And, um, I mean, he hadn't been a pastor or, or been in any specific leadership position, but God got a hold of his life. He went and, um, and hung out with a, a mentor named Seth Joshua. He was, he was a pastor. And he taught him a prayer. And this is the prayer he taught him. Bend me, bend me, bend us. Bend me, bend me, bend us. Two-thirds of the prayer was about... Getting our own selves right. Getting our own self aligned with God. Getting our own selves useful to God. And then at the end, bend us. Well, God did bend Evan Roberts. He bent him in such a way and spoke to him in such a way that it gave him a great vision. In fact, he he had a vision uh, where the Holy Spirit sort of showed up and showed him all of Wales, the whole country, being lifted up to heaven. And he was impressed by God to pray. Again, we're talking about God wants to do things. And then he gives someone an assignment to pray so it will happen. So he felt like God had given him an assignment to pray that 100,000 people from the, his nation of Wales would come to know Jesus. Jesus. And so he began to pray. 100,000 people would come, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then there was, moments, there was a moment came where he was invited to come speak. I think they'd, it was like he'd come thinking he was going to speak in the church, and I think he only got to speak to the youth. They didn't let him speak in the church. They, I think they had him put him off to a school, at the side, like a school classroom. And so he spoke to the young people there, and, and uh, he spoke the same four Point, sermon everywhere he went he had four he said there's four conditions there's four conditions to see God move in our lives and I might be able to get that up on the board but this is here it's Evan Roberts four conditions he said you must put away any unconfessed sin so receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ Secondly, you must put away any doubtful habit. I, f- I found this fascinating because unconfessed sin, like something that's truly sinful and selfish and evil and wrong, well, that's clear, yeah, we should do away with that. But then he said he took it to another level. He said, is there any doubtful habit? It was sort of like something you're not sure about, sort of a gray area. You're not even sure if it's sin or what or what, what role it plays in your life. He says, put that stuff away too. So, don't even let there be a wisp of a cloud between you and God. Be so aligned with God that there's not even a question mark over whether anything is holding you back from being useful to him. So you must put away any doubtful habit. And part of that was more stuff about forgiveness. And forgive everyone. So make sure that you're, there's no grudge you're holding. There's no. Uh, there's no... Uh, revenge cycle you're still planning out. There's no slanderous uh, words that you're planning to use on somebody. Be done with all those things. They said you must obey the Holy Spirit promptly. So when you have a a nudge from the Holy Spirit, when you sense what God is wanting you to do in a situation, you must obey promptly. And then finally, you must confess Christ publicly. This is the same message he preached everywhere he went. And within a couple years, 100,000 Welsh people came into the kingdom. J. Edwin Orr is a historian of, of revivals. And he wrote about it and he said, God gave him more than he asked for. Because not only, within the first season of a couple of years... 100,000 came in, but he said in, he, shortly after, thereafter, they figured that probably a quarter of a million, 250,000 people actually came to Christ. Because as a result of this revival, 150,000 people came to know Christ and were even registered as church members that were not church members before within Wales. And, so, and they figured there's another 100,000 because Welsh people began going all over the world. They went all over the world. They figured there's 30 different other revival locations that came out of the Welsh Revival. One of the neat ones that I thought was really cool, and I haven't researched it enough. I'm going to have to look a little deeper into it, was that Welsh people left Wales and went to India. And a revival broke out there. And as that revival broke out there, it spilled over into, I believe, Indian people going to Korea. And a revival broke out there. Pretty amazing stuff. You must put away any unconfessed sin. You must put away any doubtful habit. You must obey the Holy Spirit promptly. You must confess Christ publicly. I read this this week, and I I, I came back to my annual report and what I'd written, and I was like, oh, okay, Lord, I think where I'm seeing the correlation. It's repentance. It's obedience. But it all started with prayer. It all started with prayer. Evan Roberts was a man of prayer. He would just pray and pray and pray and pray. His mentor had taught him that simple prayer, bend me, bend me, bend us. He created his own version of this prayer that he... uh, People would hear him praying it before he was going to preach. You'd hear him praying before uh, in, in the long prayer meetings that they would have. You'd hear them saying these, this same line again and again. And I felt like it was just such a great summary line of what uh, we, we would hope for for ourselves, what we would hope for, what we need in order to um, be effective in the harvest that Jesus has for us in this day. And so it's just Three lines. Empty me. Empty me. Fill me. Fill me. And use me. Use me. I I don't think I'll never stop telling this story. I've been asked to do a set-free retreat. Uh, ours is coming up in the next couple months. We'll, you'll hear more about it. A set-free retreat is, 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 is a weekend. It's a one-day thing. We, it's like a 24-hour retreat we do here at the church. It's where we just we set it aside for people to just get as much as they possibly can right with God in 24 hours. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. We, we deal with sin. We deal with uh, habits. We deal with all sorts of different things. But you know what? In 24 hours, it's amazing the transformation that can happen. But the goal of it is that, that nothing would stand between us and God. That we'd be totally aligned with God. There wouldn't Even, even when the enemy comes to attack with, with condemnation, it just wouldn't even land anymore because we'd say, I dealt with that. You know, the enemy, how he, he discourages the church. He discourages ch- Christians with this all the time. He'll say, look at you. Look at what you've done. Look at, look at your track record. Look at your behavior. And often, he's got something to say because it's like it fits. When you come before God and you confess your sin and you make it right, you, you, you receive his forgiveness in your life, suddenly those arrows don't stick. They don't land. Say, look what you've done. And you can say, yeah, and also look at how Christ has forgiven me for that. I've been made righteous in his sight in this area, not because of my goodness. And, and, and the accusation, look, you're a bad person, is like, yes, and hallelujah, I'm saved by grace. You're a failure. Yes, look what God's doing with a failure. You can't do anything right. That's pretty much true. Amen and amen and amen, but Christ in me is doing some amazing things. I can't tell you the most alive moments in my life and in my walk with God have been those seasons where God has called me through a time of repentance. He's called me through a time where He's put His finger on certain areas of my life, and He's asked me to deal with those areas. And it's been a time of humbling, and it's been a time of uh, of getting very real with God. But the outcome of those times has been the sweetest times of my walk with God it's been the the best times of my walk with God was when I I've, I've gotten gut level honest with God and I've repented of things that I've I've let linger for a long time it's like I have that you know I just have that fresh clean feeling in my spirit and in my in my life when those when I when I come before him and and say yeah Jesus I'm surrendering myself not not holding back from you but I'm 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 I want to be useful to you. Empty me. Fill me. Use me. The church, the, the people who of the, of, that, of the Welsh Revival, they had their own prayer. I just found all these incredible prayers from Welsh Revival. I just want to share them with your amazing stuff. The, the, prayer that cra- the, the cry that rang out through the villages and towns and the churches and in the hearts of men, women, and children, the young people throughout Wales was this one. Bend the church and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. Yeah, I forgot the story I was going to tell you, but this relates. I went to do a set free in Weyburn. I meet this couple. They told me about how all of their kids have walked away from God and how heartbreaking that was for them. And I'd known these. I actually, it was interesting that I ran into them because I'd known them from years before. And so I was like, oh, man, this is terrible. And, and they loved Jesus, but none of their kids were walking with God, and it was really, it was very difficult. And I said, so, you know, what's happening now in your life right now? And they said, a, a couple years ago, God just really spoke to us about, we were always trying to get our kids to get right with God, and we were working so hard to make that happen. And, 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 and then the Lord told us to redirect our energy to sin in our own lives. just getting ourselves completely and utterly right with god and so that's what we've been pursuing so for the last year or two we've just been we've been just just making sure that that we we are in the right place with god that we are um we're we're as he wants us to be in in relationship to him and i said and how's that going and he said it's it's been an amazing journey it's been an amazing journey. God has dealt with so many things in our marriage, in our, in our hearts, and, and just personally, it's been an amazing journey. And they said, and, and do you want to know the, the uh, surprised icing on the cake? I said, yeah, I do. They said, so I'm just arriving here about to do the set-free retreat in Weyburn. And, and they said, um, our daughter came home this weekend and she gave her life back to Christ. They said, it didn't come from our twisting of her arm or persuasion or, or trying to, it came when, out of the blue, and we were just focused on making sure we were who we were supposed to be in relationship with God. When I hear about the Welsh people and they say, bend the church and save the world. I think there's something very real about that. Because sometimes as the church we can look at the world, we can look at how things are broken and how things are, and we can be sort of like disdainful or something and and go, oh, look at how messed up the world is. Let's huddle in here and stay safe where everybody's just perfectly pure. But we're not. I was sharing um, my faith with someone recently. I was using the three-circle gospel presentation I've shown you here. I was sharing that with somebody. Anyhow. I sharing, and, and then I was, you know, how sin came into the world and stuff like that, and, and then somehow the conversation turned a little bit, and, and we were talking about the brokenness in the world, that's one of the circles, and what's wrong with the world, and I was hearing their perspective on things that are wrong with the world, and, that was, and it was good, they had some good insights and stuff like that, and it was awesome, but then at a certain point, back to me, I said, you know what, maybe I should clarify this, you know what's wrong with the world? I am. I am. I am I was born sinful I was born selfish. I have a natural tendency to make the world all about me. I have I have I can point to I can tell you about the brokenness in my life. I can I can But Jesus came along and 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 didn't reject me in my broken state but he received me and, and welcomed me and he's been he's been doing a uh, restoration work in my life. Our message to the world is not that we have it all together, but we have, uh, we are great sinners who have a great Savior. And he's a great restorer of our lives. This morning as we close, I share one more thing from Evan Roberts as we close. Then I'm going to invite you to pray with me. People wrote Evan Roberts and they said, how could we see this kind of revival in where we are? From all over the world, people wrote him letters. How could we see this kind of revival? So he said, first, consider the four conditions. You must put away any any unconfessed sin. You must put away any doubtful habit. You must obey the Holy Spirit promptly. You must confess Christ publicly. He says, do that. Then he wrote this. He says, once you've considered those four conditions, hold a prayer meeting to pray this. This is what he said to pray. Send the Spirit now for Christ's sake. He said, pray that. Then he said, then pray, send the Spirit powerfully now for Christ's sake. Pray that. And then he said, after you've done that, then pray, Send the spirit more powerfully now for Jesus Christ's sake. You know those disciples who started out with the Lord's prayer? Praying for his kingdom come and his will to be done, relating to him as their father, dealing with unforgiveness in their lives, becoming, trusting him for their daily needs, all the different things in there. Later on, when Jesus was gone, and, the, and the, the Holy Spirit had come into their lives, and they were seeing signs and wonders happen, and they'd healed, and the, the, Peter and John got arrested. And they threatened them, and they said, don't you dare ever speak about this Jesus ever again. And it says they threatened them with many threats. I don't know, what, it doesn't tell us what all the threats are, but it must have been pretty serious. Peter and John come back to the other believers, and they gather together, and they pray. They pray. Let me read you what they pray. On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported All that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign God, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, who said, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, we need what only you can do. Not just what we can do. We need what only you can do. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need uh, the empowerment to be a witness in, your, in this world. Lord, I, I will pray that Evan uh, Roberts' prayer again. Empty me. Would you pray it with me this morning? I'll just say it. Empty me. You Say it again. Empty me. Lord, you know what that means for each one of us. You know exactly what it means for each one of us. God, bring us, if there's things we're still clutching to, we're holding on to, we won't release, we won't forgive, we won't confess, can you help us to release our death grip on the thing that's bringing us death? So we can open up our hands and receive the life that you want to give us instead. Let's pray the second part. Fill me. Say it again. Fill me. One more time. Fill me. God, we need... Lord, we want to be emptied of all the things that are hindering us back. We want to lay aside anything that is, a, is, a, is stopping us from running for you. But we, in, we want that to just be replaced with your power, with your presence, with your peace, with your truth, with all that you are. Spirit of God, fill us. Fill us. Last one. Use me. Say it again. Use me. One more time. Use me. Lord, that's our greatest desire. We want to be useful to you. We want you to to shape our hearts, our minds, renew our minds, shape our hearts, make them tender and soft towards you, I pray for that, uh, that willingness to obey quickly when you nudge, when you, when you say go, when you say speak, when you say uh, help and love and give and, and, and speak about me. Use us. Bend us and shape us and, and, and make us an instrument in your hand that you can use. Lord, I thank you for each one who's here this morning. I just thank you for the, um, even the work that you're, you're doing in, in, in different hearts right now. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help them to go on the full journey. That the enemy wouldn't snatch away the seed of what you've deposited in them today, but that they would, go on the full journey. If there's things they need to put in their calendar, take out of their calendar, they go on the journey. If there's reconciliation they need to make with others, they they give them the opportunity, give them the words, give them the guts, give them the right heart and posture to, to do it. God, can you just help us so much? We want to be useful to you. We want to be ones who can be sent into the harvest field and Come back rejoicing with a great crop, great return. Seeing people come to know you, seeing people coming alive in you, seeing people uh, living in the destiny of what you have for them. People laying aside lower living and lesser things, and, and grasping on to the treasure that you are, and experiencing all that you have for us and for them. So we ask, just use us, Lord, just use us. Yeah. Now I encourage you, we're going to ha- sing a worship song, it's a great song, but you might find even in this worship song that you just need to talk to God. I find that lots of times in worship for me. I just The worship song is amazing, it's really good, but it just is the atmosphere where I need to have a, a little prayer time with God. I need to have a little bit of discussion with Him and set some things right. And he, just encourage you to do that as we, as we end our time together this morning.